Good morning, Crossings women. What a gift and a privilege it is to gather together this morning and study God's word. I'm grateful for the opportunity to continue our Life on the Vine study today by talking about joy. I'm going to share more of my story with you later today, but I wanted to take a moment to introduce myself to you. My name is Katie Long, and I've been at Crossing since I was in sixth grade in 2002, so 20 years for all those who are counting. Um, my husband Jordan and I call Crossing's Edmond home, and we live here in Edmond with our Boston Terrier, Bitsy, who is our entire world. So here are a few family photos. I've been on staff at Crossings for eight years next month, and I get to work in our communications department. Um, I'm so grateful to be in the behind-the-scenes part of ministry here at Crossings. I help with our digital marketing efforts, and I'm so fortunate to be part of this team. I'm also brand new to our teaching team this year, and I'm so grateful for Deidre and for this incredible group of women. As I mentioned earlier, today we're going to continue our exploration of the fruit of the Spirit by talking about joy. It's a simple word, but it is so complex to live it out in our lives. I want to go ahead and dive into our foundational scripture for today, which is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. If you want to join me in your Bibles or devices, it will also be on the screen. This scripture is a letter from James, the brother of Jesus. It's found in the New Testament, and you can find it in your Bibles after the book of Hebrews and before the book of 1 Peter. The readers of James' letter were the early Jewish Christians outside Palestine who were experiencing unbelievable suffering. Let's take a look at what he says to them. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I love how the NIV translation translates this to pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I'd also like to take a look at the message translation, which is quite a bit different from the NIV. The message gives us another perspective to explore this passage of scripture. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. In both translations, it's obvious James is not mincing words or sugarcoating anything. 
His readers were people who were suffering and who were part of the diaspora in the earliest days of the church. Diaspora just means dispersal or scattering. And it refers to this group of people who, James tells us in verse one, were scattered among the nations. These people fled Jerusalem in the nearby areas as they started to be persecuted and they helped spread the gospel. The people James was writing this letter to lived in fear and endured terrible circumstances because of their faith. They were forced out of their homes and they were seeking refuge in every possible way. This is not new in our world today. Afghan refugees are fleeing to Oklahoma. And as a nation, we are preparing for Ukrainian refugees displaced from war in hopes of finding safety. While we may not all personally know someone who is seeking refuge, we're acquainted with the feelings of fear and uncertainty and distress. We can understand the pain of losing loved ones. And we can imagine how terrifying it would be to leave our homes to be forced out of our homes. And what is familiar for what is uncomfortable for what is a completely unknown future. These are some of the trials that James is referencing. And in the same sentence, he says, to consider it pure joy. The Greek word for joy is kara. It's a noun that refers to a specific feeling, delight, exhilaration, rejoicing, glee, Gladness. I'm a word nerd, so indulge me for just a moment because I love the origin. Kara comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace. I love this link. Kara, joy, comes from charis, grace. Our joy comes from his grace. In light of the context of the trials the original readers of this letter were facing, don't you love that connection? The word joy appears over 155 times in the Old Testament and 63 in the New Testament. That's 218 times for anyone who's counting. Clearly, God wants us to understand biblical joy so well. All joy, pure joy, a sheer gift. Joy in the face of trials and difficulties and uncertainty. I don't know about you, but there have been a number of times in my life when I have considered it a struggle <laughs> um, instead of joy to experience challenges. There have been times I've wrestled with God for control over something in my life, and I've wondered, how am I supposed to find joy in this? How am I supposed to be joyful when I'm in such pain? How does this fit into the story of my life? If you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a one a perfectionist in every sense of the word. In every personality test I've ever taken, they've all pointed to perfectionism, much to my dismay in the 12 times I take each test, just to make sure. <laughs> yes. I'm a type A list maker and someone who enjoys organizing things for fun. Planning and organizing and color coding are my love languages. Raise your hand if this also sounds like you, anyone? Yes, y'all get me? I've always been drawn to things that are perfectly in their place because there's something soothing about organization. I've learned over the years that while I appreciate tidiness, what I really love is the predictability organization brings with it. I seek it out because I can be prepared if I know what's coming next. Most of my life, I have made airtight plans and most of my life, God has gently, 
sometimes forcefully, redirected me. Because here's the thing. Our real lives aren't easy to organize and label and sort, are they? They're messy. They're unpredictable. They're difficult. And they're painful. Instead of picture-perfect lives, most days we're dealing with manageable chaos. And sometimes it's unmanageable chaos. It's good for us to remember that James is writing this letter to readers who are greatly suffering. These people were living in a time where their spiritual lives were in conflict with their culture and they experienced persecution for being followers of Christ. Even though James' letter was written around 49 AD, not long after the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned, it is still so relevant to us today. And that's an incredible thing about the Bible, isn't it? As Dr. Cliff Sanders sagely said, the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. Let's take a look at James' letter again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In these verses, James is using a term a blacksmith or someone who makes metal tools would be familiar with, testing. This testing is not a pop quiz or a final exam. What James is referencing here is a process a blacksmith uses to make metal the strongest it can possibly be. It burns away impurities in this process. The heat can be over 3,000 degrees, and it is so intense, only the strongest metal remains when it has been removed from the fire. Do you ever feel like you've been in this kind of extreme heat and fire in your life? This is how challenges in our lives feel sometimes, that we're walking through something so intense, so difficult, the parts of us that waver in our faith are burned away and we are left with a deeper reliance and more powerful relationship with God on the other side. Have you ever experienced something so difficult your faith was changed? that your trust in God was so much deeper, that your character was challenged and strengthened. I have experienced such a season in my life, and it has been a recent season, the last six years. My husband Jordan and I have been married since 2014, and our first two years of marriage were truly bliss. I finished grad school, we started our dream jobs, we moved into our first house together, we spent so much time with family and friends and growing in our relationships with Christ. But then we started trying to grow our family. Month after month, we prayed, we waited, and there was nothing but negative pregnancy tests stacking up in my bathroom drawer. After 18 months, we had a feeling something was wrong and our doctor ordered some tests as a formality. When they came back 100% abnormal, we were stunned, terrified, reeling. We were immediately referred to a fertility specialist and we began our arduous infertility journey together. We did treatment after treatment that failed. We continued to pray for God's will to be done and for his will to be crystal clear to us. At the beginning of 2020, <clears throat> things were looking up. It was January 2020 for the record, not March. Yes. We were going to see a new doctor for a new kind of treatment we hadn't yet tried. 
IVF. It was just as terrifying as our initial diagnosis was. Tons of injections, countless appointments, blood draws, ultrasounds. But I prayed for God to clear the path and guide us if this was his will for us. And he did. Everything went as smoothly as it could, being 2020 and doing IVF in the middle of the pandemic. At the end of our IVF cycle, we ended up with two embryos, one boy and one girl, our son and our daughter. We were overjoyed that God had walked with us through all of this, and it seemed the miracles that we had prayed fervently for were so close. But in November 2021, or 2020, we lost my son and my grandmom on the same day, one of the darkest days I've ever experienced. The holidays were a blur. In January 2021, I finally got pregnant with my daughter, and I absolutely could not believe it. God saw me. God was walking with me. God had heard our cries and our prayers, and he demonstrated his love so beautifully to us in that precious time. It's something I won't ever forget. But on Valentine's Day, I miscarried. Again, it was one of the darkest days I've ever endured. In March, we lost my mother-in-law. In June, I miscarried again. In July, my mom and grandpa were diagnosed with cancer. It has been such a brutal season. Even though I've grown up in church with generations of powerful faith in my family and support that could only be divinely orchestrated, I have to be honest, I was really angry at our circumstances. I was broken. I was so deeply devastated. I was numb. I could not understand why this was happening to us. There were so many times when precious friends in my life prayed over me and prayed for me, and all I could do was cry out to God and abide in Him and to rest in Him and to be reminded He's as close as every breath. Thank God for His goodness and His nearness and His mercy. James makes it so clear that if we desire wisdom about our circumstances, when we are in a season we don't understand, we need to go to God and ask him. It takes such humility to surrender our human nature, to let go of our desires to control and perfect and make sense of the mess. I struggle so much with this. All I want is to keep everything in its place in my life. It is so difficult to surrender and ask God and go to him for wisdom. It's important we understand what biblical wisdom is, the ability to discern what is right, true, or lasting. It's also important we understand that when we ask God for wisdom, we may still be walking in uncertainty. While I wish asking God for wisdom was like a lightning strike, in my experience, it's been more like walking through the fog. I wanna to be totally transparent with you. This is really, really hard to pray and ask God, and sometimes to cry out to God, to beg God for clarity in a season of suffering, and to find joy in the waiting is really difficult. To experience joy when we can't understand the why, when we are bound by our human limitations where God is limitless, is so challenging. Have you ever had a moment where you thought, God, where are you in this? Where you cried out to God and wondered, why you? Why now? When I'm wondering and crying out in the waiting, 
I find peace and comfort in remembering who God is, a God who loves us more than we can fathom, a God who desires goodness for us, a God who withholds nothing from us, a God whose plan is perfect for us. Even though we know this in our hearts to be true, there are moments when doubt comes in and we waver sometimes. We're fallible humans and none of us are immune to doubt, especially when the season of waiting goes on for much longer than we expect. I know I can fall prey to doubt when I'm weary and when I don't know what's next. In verses five and six, James addresses doubt clearly. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. We remember the readers of James' letter were forced far outside their comfort zones, figuratively and literally, and I'm sure they experienced doubt about their journey. I'm sure they doubted their faith and even God. James is reminding them here that our generous God sees them and doesn't fault them for asking for wisdom and clarity in their current circumstances. He also paints a picture of what it looks like to doubt, to go in any direction the wind blows. This picture is in contrast to what he says earlier about cultivating perseverance and strengthening character when trials come. It probably isn't shocking to you that I find it hard to relinquish control sometimes. I think I can just handle this one thing and God can handle the rest. I can just prepare a little more thoroughly and then I can avoid disaster. I just need to plan for every possible outcome and then I won't be surprised or disappointed. Then I'll be protected. I've struggled with this so much in my life trying to be perfect and planned out and prepared. And I thought all those things would bring me comfort. I thought all my plans would help me experience joy and peace. But the truth is, the older I get and the more trials I face, the more I'm comforted by the fact that God is in control, not me. I'm comforted by the fact that he is the captain of the storms in my life, not me. His plans and his will for me are perfect and mine can fall away. As we've explored what it means to experience biblical joy, and as I've experienced it myself in my own life, I can't help but compare it with our world's definition of joy. Just like happiness, which is a fleeting feeling based on our current circumstances in the moment, the world's definition of joy doesn't quite look like God's definition. The dictionary defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires. We definitely see this in our culture, don't we? When we're successful and we get everything we want, that is joy. When we get the promotion we want, the family we want, the latest and greatest thing we want, the world tells us the emotion we're feeling is joy. But something is missing from that definition. That's dependent on our circumstances, just like happiness is. It's temporary and it's fleeting. Take a look at how Dallas Willard, who's an author, philosopher, and theologian, defines biblical joy. Joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure, but a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. I'm going to repeat this and let you savor the definition for a moment because I really want it to sink in. 
Joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure, but a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. This is true joy, not the temporary fleeting happiness in our current circumstances, but the all-encompassing, overwhelming well-being because of the goodness of God. Biblical joy is steadfast. It perseveres. It's unwavering. The truth is we don't always get what we want. And even though we know the difference between the world's view of joy and God's view, we can still sometimes pursue the world's view. If you did your homework on joy this week, I would love to know, were you able to list out a hundred things you're grateful for and God's purpose for those gifts? Y'all, that was a difficult exercise, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to see through the lens of gratitude than others. But this exercise reminded me that gratitude is the link between God's grace and biblical joy. It opens our hearts to experience joy the way God intended. And it allows us to recount him at work in our lives. We've continued fertility treatment this year. And to be totally honest with you guys, it has been horrible. Our infertility journey has been especially challenging to mine for things I'm grateful for. It's been exhausting, physically taxing, and emotionally draining. And at times it's been hard to find sense, make sense of the suffering. We've prayed and leaned into God and asked for guidance consistently this year. And instead of starting another IVF cycle during Holy Week, like we originally planned, we've decided to stop treatment altogether talk about a curveball in my plans. <laughs> God has given us such peace in this decision, and our prayer has been that his will be done, not ours. As painful as it can be, there is joy in the midst of the horrible. There's joy in the midst of the anguish. There's joy in resting in who God is and seeing him at work in our lives. When I look back over our journey and think about things I'm grateful for, I'm reminded of the empathetic doctors and nurses God put in our path to care for us. I'm grateful for the church family who has shown us God's love in ways we haven't known until this journey. I'm grateful not for losing my babies, but for the opportunity to have had them here for the time I did have. I'm grateful for how dealing with infertility has constantly reminded me to fix my eyes on Jesus and not as Marty always says, the temporary trial-filled world here below. That is a gift of epic proportions. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 captures this feeling of gratitude and abiding in God so beautifully. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This was written by the Apostle Paul around the same time James was writing this letter to the early church. Paul reminds his readers to rejoice always. The word rejoice is linked to joy. The Greek word has the same root. And like James, Paul does not say, rejoice when you feel like it. Rejoice when you have some time. Rejoice if you can. It's rejoice always. Paul reminds his readers to pray continually, to be in constant communication with God, and to view their circumstances, all circumstances, through a lens of gratitude. This is what God desires for us because when we do this, we are abiding in him, we're trusting in him, and we're relying fully on him. 
I have no doubt the Holy Spirit continued to place these verses in front of me over and over in this season because I needed to hear them over and over again. Right now, Jordan and I don't know what's next. There is such uncertainty in our journey. And if I can be honest, some trepidation. We don't know if we'll ever be parents on this earth. We don't know if we'll ever hold our children in our arms instead of our hearts. That is a difficult fact to reckon with. But we do know joy because we have experienced it. This inextricable hope because of who God is. This fruit has been produced over and over in our lives through suffering and difficulty because that is how joy comes to be in our lives. It isn't something we can produce on our own. Joy exists through our connection to God, abiding in Him, and through the Holy Spirit's prompting in our lives. Those who wrestle with control like me, isn't this peace-giving and comforting? That God pours Himself out and allows us to experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All this by just resting in him, trusting him, and cultivating a relationship with him above all else. Some of you are in a season of suffering like me, loss, divorce, a health crisis, financial instability, the challenge of raising children, doubt. Doubt because we're human. I wanna encourage you as we wrap up today and head back out into our lives, whatever they look like right now. We know as followers of Christ, we will face trials and this doesn't surprise God. Not only do our trials not surprise God, but he promises to walk with us through them all, offering his strength and protection and love and grace to sustain us. Sometimes we don't understand the why. Sometimes we can't see what's next. Sometimes we're in the storm and things feel out of our control. Sometimes we can't do anything but cry out to him and rest in his goodness. God sees us and he walks with us. He loves us no matter what, more than we can even fathom. All he wants is for us to ask for wisdom when we're uncertain, to trust him with our lives and our hearts, and to abide in him. The Holy Spirit guides us and prompts us to lean into God because it's not our nature to lean into him always, is it? It's our nature to lean away from him sometimes. This Holy Spirit reminds us to abide in him when we're weary. The Holy Spirit helps us reframe our perspective when we go astray. We don't know where to turn and the Holy Spirit reminds us we're not alone and to trust in God in every circumstance. And finally, Jesus understands us. We will walk through the events leading up to Easter next week during Holy Week and we will be reminded in a tangible, powerful way the depth of Jesus' understanding and empathy for us. Jesus experienced the greatest suffering in history by dying an unimaginable death on the cross for us. And he did it unwaveringly. That is joy. Not that we delight in our suffering, but that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit guides us, and that Jesus understands us. 
that we can be grateful for challenging seasons because they help us know God more deeply, that we can rest in God's goodness, that we get to experience joy because of who God is. We do not experience fruitless suffering. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that we do not experience suffering without purpose. Thank you that we do not walk through the challenges of life alone. Thank you that you love us without end, that you generously give us wisdom when we ask for it, that you are steadfast and that we can count on you. Thank you, God, for your goodness and for who you are. I ask that for those who are suffering today, those who are in a season of storms and uncertainty, that you comfort them as only you can. I thank you, God, for your spirit and for your son, Jesus, and for these women who love and serve you with all their hearts. In your heavenly name I pray, amen.